0: as a signing spree happening, like there was in the early to mid 90s, the key for bands is exposure. You have to do what you can to get noticed by the men in towers who could make you stars. But also, those men, and almost always men in the 90s, were looking for ways to make their life easier, a way to sift through a lot of the bands quickly, and one way was band competitions. The National Campus Band Competition was one of the biggest. It started in 1990, growing out of a competition in Adelaide. If you were a band and you went to an Australian university, you could, and still can, enter. Bands like Jebediah, Spiderbait, Eskimo Joe, Frenzel Rom, 78 Sub, and more were discovered through playing the National Campus Band Competition. The competition grew more connected to the wider scene as the decade wore on. Triple J came on as a sponsor. The first ever winner was in 1990 and it was Helvin who signed to Mushroom. Winning meant good exposure to that beast that was the music industry. So Chris Crouch was surprised that his phone didn't ring when the band he was managing, The Simpletons, won the National Campus Band Competition in 1993. But The Simpletons, as great as they were, were never going to be a major label band. Instead, The Simpletons and their manager would have to forge their own path away from the traditional music industry at the center of it would be a label candle records who would become home to a bunch of like-minded bands including the Luxmiths, the mabels and darren hanley and by the end of the decade the industry finally started to pay attention but by then they didn't need them through it all was a bunch of albums and songs that i loved to death that sounded like no other label and distinctly australian Welcome to Just Ace, a podcast about the 90s Australian alternative music scene, whatever the hell that means. This week, we look at the little corner of the music universe called Candle Records. Started by Shane Gelligan in 1993, the Simpletons hailed from Lismore, a city with less than 30,000 people. It is located at the very north of New South Wales and was closer to Queensland's capital of Brisbane than Sydney, which was eight hours drive away. Shane had wanted to play in bands for a while and had a few other lineups with different friends. In 1993, most amateur bands were playing electric guitars emulating grunge or some commercial rock like Guns N' Roses or Metallica. Some wore shorts and some had funk leanings. I love Faith No More, but they have a lot to answer for. But Shane wielded an acoustic guitar and filled his song with clever lyrics which made them stand out. Although they were still fun and high energy enough that kids were able to mosh to them anyway. The simpletons were happy to play parties and give local kids a reason to do that moshing. But Lismore is not a place where famous bands come from. Triple J going national would help address that disparity later in the decade. In fact, a few years later, Triple J would launch Unearthed, a regional Australia talent contest of sorts. And the first band to be unearthed was from Lismore and they were called Grinspoon. The Grinsman guys and the Simpletons guys actually knew each other, but their music couldn't be more different. Lismore is captured with tongue-in-cheek affection in the Simpletons' very first release. It was an independent EP named Smother, and it's brilliant. It was released in 1994 and later reissued by Candle Records, which at this time didn't exist yet. The EP features the track 2480, the postcode for Lismore. The track features Shane and the band full of ideas and nowhere to go. The history of popular music is filled with young men who make debut independent recordings that are about their little corner of the world and they play them too fast, record them too cheaply and they're too full of ideas. And as a rule, I love all those songs. Be it Tally Ho by The Clean, Falling and Laughing by Orange Juice, A New England by Billy Bragg, Gangsters by The Specials and other slices of naive brilliance. I would put 2480 by The Simpletons in the same bucket. I'm not playing the full thing because it's not available anywhere. I'm playing the full thing because the whole thing is so great. Here's the full two and a half minutes of 2480 by The Simpletons, first released independently on their Smother EP in 1994.
1: Your drugs in 2480. Oh. Lismore. 2480. Oh. Lismore. 2480. Lismore. Oh. 2480. Oh. It's a wonderful place. A really nice town. It's not a hole in the ground. There's just one floor. am bored. Bored. I'm bored. No good bands. Unemployment. Nights devoid of enjoyment. Can't find girls. Can't fall in love. Can't find home. Get me out of.
0: I love the guitar playing, which is actually overplaying and doing too much, but in a fun way. On guitar was the latest member, Darren Hanlon. I love the way the story switches in the middle of the song. It goes from this slice of life to the bit where they are bored. By all rights, it should have been an enemy single of the week and played on the John Peel show. Triple J should have picked it up, and it should have been voted in the upper regions of the Hottest 100. Sadly, those things were far from Lismore, and the band were completely independent. And as much as the world was tilting towards independent and new and regional voices, there were still a few gatekeepers to get past. And the Simpletons simply didn't have the network of friends in record stores connected to other international record stores the way Sydney or Melbourne Indie Kids had. The Simpletons ultimately worked with Shane's friend Chris Crouch as their manager. Another Lismore native, he worked hard for the band, helping them to score an unlikely support for Willie Nelson in Brisbane. Triple J liked the Simpletons a little and added them to rotation, giving them an audience outside of Lismore. But they were one of many new bands that Triple J was playing. And even winning that national campus band competition didn't change things significantly for them. They were going to have to get to work. With no calls from A&R folks, the band and manager Chris decided to form their own label to release the Simpletons stuff. Because they used to perform with Candles on stage, Simpleton's bass player Brad Cheers suggested the name Candle Records for the new label. Candles' first release was the second Simpleton's EP called Nod, released in October of 1994. Here's taught Poppies by the Simpletons, a song they would later re-record for their debut album. This version is the original taken from the EP Nod.
1: Give the wooden spoon to the guy came first You heat me up, you suss me out You hold my hands It's cool like a one night stand As lyrically fulfilling As a blues band Ooh, Baby, baby, baby Please help me chop the all poppies down Please help me chop the all poppies down Please They've grown too high They've grown
0: too high, they've
1: grown too
0: high Let's
1: cut them down and watch
0: them die The simpletons went on tour and soon found that they didn't have that many bands to tour with. Everyone else was doing grunge and metal. There weren't that many bands doing wordy pop. So when the simpletons did luck into finding a band that suited them, they would befriend them and try to organise more shows with them. They would also rave about them to Chris and suggest that Candle Records should help their new friends get some music out there. Through the simpletons touring, two other bands quickly joined the roster. One was the Folky Cuttlefish, who would not actually release an album until 1997. There was also the Luxsmiths, who would be one of Candle Records' most successful bands and quietly become one of Australia's best exports. It would be the Luxsmiths that would ultimately come to define Candle Records. The Luxsmiths were formed by three friends from high school. Marty Donald on guitar, Mark Manone on bass, and Tally White on drums and did most of the singing. Unlike the Simpletons, the Luxmiths were city kids, that city being hip, arty Melbourne. Their influences and loves were artists like Billy Bragg with his strong sense of storytelling and Crowded House with their acoustic, loose and fun style. But probably a bigger influence was books. They fit a terrible cliché at times, they were drama students and they studied literature, but what they turned out was music that was about the beauty of the grounded. They sang about weatherboard houses and cardigans. They managed to get a few gigs, enough to put together their first songs, primarily written by Marty, onto a charming self-titled cassette, released independently in 1993. The Luxmiths would develop, get better and sound better and play better, but that first tape has a lot of what makes the Luxmiths unique from the off. Songs like Weatherboard were touching, Australian, and sounded like no one else, except maybe an Australian version of Billy Bragg, and I guess the other candle bands later on. From their debut album, which they later renamed to the more literal title of First Tape, here's the Luxsmiths with Weatherboard. It was summer when she moved in
2: And it was winter when she moved out again And the sky was usually blue and the single bed was big enough for two. It's funny the things that stay with you. Her jewelry on the table, and the smell of her perfume. Candle wax on the carpet, singing in the supermarket, and the wallpaper in her bedroom. I'll never understand how it happened like this. I drew an open hand she drew a fist, I drew an arrow and a heart She drew a razor and a wrist
0: Like the hero Billy Bragg, the Luxmiths sang in their local accent They made no attempt to hide it, and if anything, they put it front and centre. I know when I hear British 80s records by Madness, or The Specials, or Ian Drury, and of course, Billy Bragg, the accents were part of the charm. In Australia, it was actually a bit of a cringe to some audiences. You don't grow up hearing Australian accents too much on the radio. Australian bands tend to copy what's happening in America or the UK, And with one eye on international success they aim to make music that can be played in other english speaking countries without causing an accent riot i know more than a few people in the day who were put off by the lucksmiths strong australian accents but by the early 2000s artists like missy higgins and courtney barnett would sing with strong australian accents i would argue both those artists and many others took it directly or indirectly from candle records but that thick australian accent made them a problem for some radio stations Having met the simpletons who put in a word, the Luxmiths signed to Candle Records, the perfect place to have them. Even in the rich music city of Melbourne, the early nineties was full of heavy guitar bands. So connections were made along musical lines and these inner city Melbourne kids hooked up with the regional Lismore kids. The Luxmiths released the Boondoggle EP in 1994, the second release on Candle Records. A boondoggle is an old slang term for a project that is a waste of time. From the EP Boondoggle, here's the locksmiths with Tree. Smiths started to draw a crowd, and their recordings got better. They recorded a debut album that leaned into their strange world, called *The Green Bicycle Case*, released in July of 1995. It was named after a British murder in Victorian times. Songs on the album covered common song topics like jewel thieves, the last person to be hung in Britain, Rita Hayworth, and an 1800s case about an apparent heir to a rich man. Okay, it wasn't universal topics, and it wasn't for everyone. It wasn't punk pop or angsty rock with big choruses. But they found a fan base that bought into their gentle, literate world. From the album The Green Bicycle Case, here's The Tickborn Claimant by The Lucksmiths.
2: Big and fat, here he comes. All his fingers look like thumbs. Mother dearest, look who's here. It's your...
0: Their third album, What Bird Is That?, followed in 1996. Their fourth album was 1997's A Good Kind of Nervous. For my money, it is probably their best album of the 90s and one of the best Australian albums of the 90s, full stop. It mixes their songwriting cleverness with some real beauty and joy. It's less about stories taken from history books and it's more emotionally direct. Even the band would later say that it felt like a step up. Take the excellent Under the Rotunda, an ode to treating your own city as a tourist. It's full of silly rhymes and it's just a slice of joyful pop. Here's Under the Rotunda by The Luxmiths. It's already Friday and soon it'll be
1: Friday.
2: It's a little cold there. We can hold hands in the gold square. It's getting dark, and baby, don't the shops shine bright? I've been here for hours. I can't see the florist for the flowers.
0: But it's matched with songs like Guess How Much I Love You, a more somber track about missing someone whilst wandering around the shops in Balmain. Balmain was where Candle Records was based at the time and where they stayed when they toured. Here's Guess How Much I Love You by the Luxmiths from their album A Good Kind of Nervous, first released in 1997. Good Friday.
2: Yard in Balmain to the post office and back again. I bought a postcard, I'm getting.
0: went on tour a lot around this time. They had a simple setup, an acoustic guitar, a bass and amp, and a snare drum and maybe a tambourine. Tally actually stood up and played his snare drum in the front line, not like other singing drummers who sat in the back. It was a setup inspired by Crowded House who used to strip back to one snare with drummer Paul Hester moving to the front. In the world of Australian indie rock, it was kind of different. In Australia, they did multiple tours with other candle bands like the Simpletons and the Mables. They even toured New Zealand. And despite their gentle image, many of these candle bands were tour bus warriors. They also appeared on recovery around this time. Things were taking off. A good kind of nervous saw a release on a small US indie label called Drive-In Records At a time when everyone was looking for big American major label deals, the Luxmiths and Candle worked with little labels who understood what they did. Like the way the Candle bands connected along musical lines, so too would Candle connect with other similar sounding labels overseas. It's almost like bunching together they could keep warm from all the too-cool-for-school bands. It also meant that the Luxmiths could head to the U.S. and play. Unlike, say, Clouds, Tumbleweed and UMI, who signed big U.S. deals, but albums were never released, the Luxmiths managed to find a small US audience and grow it. Growing that audience organically, almost one at a time, was how Candle and the Luxmiths worked. And in a way, they had no other choice. This was the thing about Candle. They didn't have major label backing or a line into big money to supercharge their bands. They were run on passion and hard work. No major labels even offered Candle distribution deals. Only one person from a major label ever called Chris to find out more about the label and that didn't lead to anything. But they were building a small dedicated fan base who loved everything they did. They built a mail order business that later benefited from an early website. They included cassette samplers of candle bands and order forms with every order that came in. And soon someone who ordered the Luxsmiths would return a few months later and order some simpletons. And as the Luxsmiths toured abroad, the orders started coming in from the US, Europe and Japan. Around this time, Chris visited London, and dropped by on a friend who was working at Cooking Vinyl, home of Billy Bragg. Chris got to see how a bigger UK indie label was handling mail and keeping their fans informed. And far from learning too much new, it just reinforced for him that Candle was on the right track. As the Luxsmiths developed and started to make their best work, so too did The Simpletons. The Simpletons made their first album, Matter, released on Candle Records in 1995. There was a single and a cheaply made film clip for Crash Out, here is The Charming Crash Out by The Simpletons.
1: Stop by If you know where to go to drive.
0: Matter was lo-fi pop, but in a parameter that was hugely eclectic. At 15 tracks and a secret track, it's a bit all over the place in retrospect. Nice was picked up by Triple J, and the band did like most other bands did in the 90s. They hit the road around Australia, playing capital cities and a regional circuit newly built on the back of Triple J's expansion. Here's Nice by the Simpletons from their 1995 album Matter, released on Candle Records.
1: Nice to be home You can't make love to a town Nice to be alone Nice to be in a crowd Nice to pretend we don't know too much All of us in part-time love Full-time lust And nice to recognize our weaknesses Nice to disguise this fear of death And it's nice to be back in my own bed Nice to be home, nice to leave again
0: The Simpleton's second album, Tandem, followed in 1996. There were hundreds more shows, supporting bands like Weddings, Parties, Anything, but the band was not big enough to make a living. Shane, who was the driving force, was starting to get exhausted. Let's talk about Shane. I really like The Simpletons, but I got into them a lot later. So I never saw The Simpletons, and it was actually many years later, when YouTube rolled around, that I finally got to see footage of Shane performing. There's footage online and here's what a lot of people say about him. He was tall, handsome and charming. The girls loved him. He could be the charismatic indie quirky frontman in the Dave McCormack sense. You know, in another universe, he would have been a great recovery guest host. He was good at sport and very driven, by all accounts. His talent was writing lyrics and lots of ideas. He had a quirky view of the world and often his bandmates would help him turn it into music. He didn't know every chord but he was instinctual and he got through on personality and drive. Darren Hanlon, who was a guitar player in the Simpletons for a long time, has spoken in awe of watching Shane write approaching songs from a place of instinct. I bring all this up because it breaks my heart to see footage of Shane as he's no longer with us. I don't know the inside story. It feels wrong to even speculate. But this handsome, talented guy had something in him that couldn't find a way to be happy with what was happening around him. He bounced from job to job, But that's the kind of thing that musicians do. There was a restlessness in his music. He was always jumping around and not standing still. If he wanted more success, yes, that eluded him. And by the time of 1997, after two albums, it really felt like unless something changed, that that was about as big as the simpletons were going to get. They were just facing more years of the road and diminishing returns and no one was getting younger. By the end of 1997, everything for the simpletons changed. Chris Crouch, their manager and head of Candle Records, stopped managing the simpletons. Chris moved to Melbourne in 1997 and decided to buy Polyester Records. The shop was on the super-hip Brunswick Street and it gave Candle Records a physical home. Just like there were more hard rock stores like Utopia and Missing Link, Polyester catered for the more sensitive indie pop kids. And I was one. Every trip to Melbourne meant a visit to Polyester in the late 90s and often Chris would be there. Chris resigning has never been framed as a falling out but Chris and Shane had been friends in school and went on a student exchange together. And now, they broke up. Along with that, two other members of the band left. So by the end of 1997, half the band and the whole world around the band had gone. But Shane wanted to carry on. He did so for one more album, on his own essentially, 1998's Popcore, and it was released independently without a label. The simpletons, with very little fanfare, stopped after that. What happened to Shane after those years, I don't know, but he moved in with family when depression hit. It was not fully functioning. In 2003, Shane died of a heroin overdose. He had all the markings of an indie pop star, but instead he died far too young and burnt out. Maybe music and the band wasn't any part of why his life ended the way it did, but we don't know. Shane's music is where he will be remembered, but also his approach that man of clever lyrics who loved Billy Bragg. It inspired Candle Records and drew like-minded musicians into a scene together, and it continued to grow even after Shane left the label and after he died. More bands joined, ever so slowly opening up the label to newer sounds beyond the template of the Simpletons and the Luxmiths. The third key early band on Candle Records was The Mables, they were fronted by another part of the Lismore crew, Anthony Atkinson, who would follow Candle Records to Melbourne. It was Anthony's sister, Danielle, who was the friend who worked at Cooking Vinyl in the UK. They were so very Candle, but less acoustic and less traditionally folky than either the Simpletons or the Luxmiths. Their debut EP was called Caravan Park Girlfriend and it was produced by Mick Thomas of Weddings, Parties, Anything. They also released a split single with the Luxmiths, which was called Caravan Songs. There are a lot of caravan parks near Lismore, I guess it's like how the Red Hot Chili Peppers keep singing about California. The Mables debut album followed in 1998 the wonderful scenes from a midday movie. Here's one of my favourites from that album, Sitting in a Cyclone by The Mables. Around this time, Danielle Atkinson returned from the UK and she took over the Sydney duties for Candle. So much of the music industry was still in Sydney and Danielle would go and talk to Triple J about Candle bands or pitch them to other media. Also in 1998, Candle released their first ever compilation called Clippings. There had been cassette-only compilations that had been given out with mail orders, but Clippings featured new music by their roster on CD. Clippings featured the Simpletons, the Luxmiths, the Mabels and a couple of bands that appeared in that compilation and nowhere else. Other compilations followed every couple of years like Banter and Feast. All featuring new tracks from the best of the bands on the label. These compilations tracked the growth of the label at the end of the 90s and beyond. And at the end of the 90s, Candle signed their first ever Sydney band. Stella 111 was formed by songwriter Cindy Ryan, who was looking to do a solo project, but her backing band was so good that they all formed a band instead. The band featured Pat Hayes from the recently disbanded Falling Joys, Bo Campbell from Front End Loader, Genevieve Maynard and Raphael Whittington who had been in Clouds. They were such a Sydney band and everyone in the band had Sydney contacts. It shows how well Candle was doing that this Sydney band wanted to be on Candle instead of anywhere else. Their debut single was called Hard and it was featured on their 1999 debut album Mr Big Car. Is Stella 111 with Hard.
3: She said can I talk to you about this? I always thought that I was right, and I see it from both sides. A little water's all I need, so I can't say what.
0: Jodie Phyllis of the Clouds called? She was a bona fide Australian indie rock goddess and she had just formed a band with her husband Tim Oxley. They made a gorgeous folky late night album under the name Deer Hunters with an A in deer. Their only album was called Red Wine and Blue. It's another album from Candle in this period that I loved. Here's my favourite track from that album, The Lovely Ivy about Jodie's daughter by the Deer Hunters. me Sydney's Golden Ruff were a country twinged band who released their debut album, This Sad Paradise, on Candle in 1999. They were more old country than the rest of Candle Records, but in 1999, that was really in. It's a lovely record too, and one of my favourite tracks is Don't Overlook Me. Here's Don't Overlook Me by Golden Ruff.
2: As you climb
0: biggest band at the end of the decade on candle was still the Luxmiths. They were cutting their own path internationally, especially in the US. It was under the radar of what major labels were doing. But the Luxmiths were building their dedicated fan base. As Bands like UMI, Powderfinger, Super Jesus and Grinspoon were desperate for the US label to give a shit about them at all. Without pressures of having to craft a major radio hit or becoming the next in excess or whatever the hell people were thinking, the Luxmiths actually did several tours of the US without killing each other. That alone makes them amongst the most pioneering bands in Australia in the 90s. Their albums in the early 2000s that include 2001's Why That Doesn't Surprise Me, 2003's Naturalist and 2005's Warmer Corners would be the biggest albums of their career. They also added Lewis Richter from the band Midstate Orange to the lineup. It made them a serious pop band, moving away from that homespun intimacy of the early records. You can only do homespun for so many albums. Yet it feels like in Australia... The Luxmiths never got their due. Triple J just never seemed to like them. They never made a Hottest 100 or played a big day out. Yet, they were selling out multiple nights at the pub level. It's amazing to me that every major label in Australia missed what was happening here. One of my favourite songs from later Luxmiths albums is their 2005 standalone single, The Chapter of Your Life, entitled San Francisco. It's a popular set ender. Here's The Chapter of Your Life, entitled San Francisco, by The Luxmiths.
2: Is it April yet? I forget sometimes how slowly summer passes you disappeared into departures Only half a year ago It seems like so much more
0: Simpleton's guitarist Darren Hanlon released an EP on Candle. Darren had been involved with Candle from the start and had written the odd song for the Simpletons back in the day. He blossomed into a great songwriter. For my money, in the 2000s, he was one of the best songwriters Australia had. His 2002 debut album, Hello Stranger, featured the track Punk's Not Dead, which made it to number 45 in the hottest 100 of 2002. It would be the most successful that Candle Records got at home. But in a reminder that Candle Records was still a small-time indie, when Rage played the Hottest 100 Countdown, they didn't even have a video for Punk's Not Dead. Darren had to record a single-camera live clip from a show in Gympie and sent that in instead. Here's the studio version, though, of Punk's Not Dead by Darren Hanlon.
2: She answered our ad wanted. we had a vacancy. We didn't know what was in the store, but we were soon to see. Plays records off the four skits at any given hour She turns on the hot water tap while I'm in the shower And at night the house is quiet, you might wonder why But punk's not dead, she's just gone to bed Punk's not dead, she's just gone to bed
0: Candle were releasing great record after great record on their own terms. And in 2001, they continued to do things their own way with the launch of the Candle concerts. It would happen almost every year after 2001, and it would be a showcase of the bands on Candle, with everyone doing a few songs. The first few years ended with the Luxsmiths, and the final few years ended with Darren Hanlon, who would soon become the biggest act on the label. They were joyous affairs where everyone seemed to know each other, you know how you think all famous people know each other? Well, at Candle Records concerts, everyone did know each other. And Chris Crouch would be there, as would Danielle Atkinson, who every fan knew because she was always at the merch desk. Going to a Candle concert felt like you crashed a private party on Brunswick Street. Darren Hanlon was in the simpletons, who arguably created the road for the Luxsmiths. And now Darren was following the international road set out by the Luxsmiths. Both Luck and Darren would tour the world on their little indie records, coming home occasionally for small shows and Candle concerts. They weren't massive stars, but they had more sustainable careers than many of the bands who I'll talk about in other episodes, who burnt out. Then, out of nowhere in 2007, Chris Crouch called time on Candle and Polyester Records. They had kind of stopped growing. Bands like Deer Hunters and Stella 111 had all fallen away. And their 2006 releases were all from the same old friends. Darren Hanlon, the Mables, Anthony Atkinson, the Luxmiths, Lewis's Band Midstate Orange, and the Luxmiths themselves. Chris needed a change, and it felt like he had done what he could. After he made up his mind, he called each band and friend one by one to tell him the news. As he was phoning more people, the people he already phoned called each other. What were they going to do without Candle, they asked themselves. Chris sold the shop and did one last round of Candle concerts. The label lasted 13 years all up. After that, the Luxmiths started their own label, Lost and Lonesome. It was very much based on the ideals started at Candle. They signed a lot of like-minded friends, literate guitar-pop bands Ahoy. Not just from Australia either, they released music by the Canadian indie-pop band The Saltines, but also locals like the brilliant songwriter Kirsty Stegwasi and the indie-pop wonders of bands like The Small Goods and The Bank Holidays. The Luxmiths themselves only lasted one more album without candle. They released their final album, First Frost, on Lost and Lonesome in 2008 and called it a day in 2009. They too simply felt like things had run their course. The members all still play in smaller bands around Melbourne. The Luxmiths have never reunited. I am an unashamed indie pop fan. And the thing about indie pop fans is that you seem to draw other pop fans all around the world. I just seem to meet them in my travels. You find out someone likes Bell and Sebastian, and suddenly you are best friends. And when they found out I'm Australian, there were certain bands that these music nerds would ask me about. And it was usually The Luxsmiths. People would always ask me about The Luxsmiths. The Luxsmiths put in the work, released the albums, toured and built a fan base. And for the people who managed to see them around the world, they loved them. And as you can probably tell, I loved Kendall Records too. They were so distinctly Australian, telling stories that I wasn't hearing anywhere else in popular music. By my late teens, I was scooping up everything. Music from all over the world. But nothing else sounded like the bands on Candle Records. They were kind of out of step with the 90s. The Lucksmiths and other Candle bands didn't play the Big Day Out or Alternative Nation. They didn't really have songs on the Hottest 100. Melbourne is the only city in Australia with a big enough music scene to sustain a career if you don't get on Triple J. And apart from Darren Hanlon, they didn't have songs on the Hottest 100. They survived without massive Triple J support they did things in a different way. And in a way, they set up the next decade. In the 90s, the path for Australian bands was to either leave your indie label to jump to the majors or have your whole indie label get bought up by a major and then just get merged into a major label anyway. You couldn't have a long career on an indie label. Candle helped to give the Luxsmiths and Darren Handlon long careers. They didn't have the highs, but they didn't get burnt out. And they had dedicated fans who loved them. Candle, like the name suggested, didn't shine so brightly that it quickly disappeared. It was a slow and steady and pretty flame. I feel so sad about Shane. He helped to start Candle Records, and whether he gets the credit or not, his love of the more storytelling side of indie pop was what drew people to him. It created a scene that culminated at the Candle concerts, where thousands got together to be indie pop together. The music industry did almost nothing in the 90s to help and protect people like Shane. There's a bit more now, but there's always room to improve that support network. He's a key figure in Australian music. There'd be no Courtney Barnett without Shane. There'd be no Just Ace podcast without Shane either. There would also be none of this without Chris Crouch. He kept the vision of Candle intact, and he somehow managed to keep Candle intimate and personal, even when it grew. I'm sure he was approached by heaps of bands, and he probably could have signed someone more rocking in the big music city of Melbourne, and then sold that band on and made some money. But he kept focusing on his little corner, and the people who loved Candle Records loved him for it. After he closed up the label, he started a new shop called Happy Valley, not too far from the old polyester in Collingwood. It's a hip indie record store. There were so many Candle Records compilations on cassette or CD, but there's no big overview of their biggest songs. Biggest being, of course, a relative term. Like most indies, they did handshake deals and the label itself owned nothing. I tried to license some tracks from Chris for a compilation at one point, and he basically told me he didn't own it and couldn't help. There's no documentaries, no books, and not even a chapter in a book. 2480, that simpleton song that kick-started the scene for me, is unavailable anywhere. In that sense, it would have been nice if some major label had bought everything. At least it would be part of some big company's archive. But a lot of the other music by the simpletons are available digitally. The best place to start is probably their first album, Matter, unless you want to track down the early stuff. If you email me, I'll make you a tape. For the Luxsmiths, there is a compilation. It has the wonderfully strange name Cartography for Beginners. Why not? It's a double album with 35 tracks. It's not really a gentle introduction. For me, the Luxsmiths' albums in the late 90s are all great, but 1997's A Good Kind of Nervous is my favourite. I also recommend all of Darren Hanlon's albums, everything from his first EP in 2000 until his latest album, Life Tax, which came out in 2022. If I had to choose one, it would be his second album, Little Chills, although his first, 2002's Hello Stranger, was his most successful. But this isn't a naughty's podcast, and that's for someone else to talk about. There are so many other great albums in the Candle catalogue, and I will make a compilation on the website. To end the Luxsmiths had one song that did okay on Triple J. Released at the prime of Candle Records in 1999, it was a standalone single called T-Shirt Weather. So to end, here is The Luxsmiths with T-Shirt Weather.
2: Hey Mike,
0: you're busy, all this
2: sunshine's making
0: okay you've made it to the end bit this is where i do the stuff about support and other things about just ace and every week i highlight something different and this week i'm highlighting something that is not there let's talk about no ads i hate ads there's too many of them god bless my podcast app's 30 second skip button which actually is why the intro is so long in case you're asking It's deliberately 30 seconds-ish long, so you can press that 30-second skip button and you can start listening straight away. That's deliberate. But yes, almost every other podcast has ads. But I have no VPN codes for you. I have no other podcasts on a network to tell you about. No discounts on virtual therapists or grocery deliveries to offer. No, I'll be back after these messages. It's just stories of haircuts and guitars from me. It's actually quite rare to be so independent, and there are podcast ad platforms that are designed for people like me to get a few dollars to help pay for this, but I'm really hoping I don't have to rely on that stuff. So if you hate ads and you want that 30 seconds back, check out some of the support links below. There's Patreon if you want to give the support on an ongoing basis, and it's a cheap Patreon tier. There's Buy Me A Coffee if you want to give me a tip, or you can buy something on Redbubble. There's also no-cost ways of just supporting me, like leaving me a review on Apple Podcasts, sharing links on social media, and simply telling a friend. You can also check out the website for show notes, playlists, and much more. There's social media channels you can follow and a mailing list. All the links are in the description, and the username, as always, is JustAce90s, which is JustAce90s. Okay, that's it. Next week, I talk about this goddamn great band called UMI.